This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Then, 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 you know, then I'm on campus, I don't know, 10 years ago and talking to Scott, um, Han, he's like, Mark, I've got a new podcast. Have you heard about it? It's revolutionary. <laughs> it's coming to Sunday readings. And I'm like, yeah, that's not revolutionary, dude. You're a thief. It's kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I tell you, divine sunshine, covenant, covenant, covenant. Welcome to the Crunch, episode eighty-two. It is your boy Ethan, aka Bro Apostle, and I'm Patrick at Catholic Pat. Patrick, we may or may not have uh, a guest on the show. Would you like to introduce him? Yes, I. My 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 next guest needs no introduction. Ooh. Today on <laughs> today on the podcast, like we promised we were gonna have last week, but then and I the didn't week send before a and email. several months before um, that. <laughs> we have Mark Hart from Life Teen on the podcast today, and it's very exciting. How how are you, Mark? Oh, I'm living the dream, guys. <laughs> living the dream. Thanks for coming on, Mark. Really appreciate uh, we had to kind of track you down to get you on, but uh I think it was worth it. Well, you know, stalking is uh, is actually a, a, an ancient dating ritual, and it's actually still effective in getting people uh, where they need to be. So, I'm, I'm, I'm thank you, thank you, yeah, thanks for yeah. confirming. No this problem. I think I think stalking is something that we should actually reintroduce into the dating scene, especially with regards to Catholic dating, because a lot of people, as we know, are just really scared to approach. And I think if you get a lot of experience with that person from a distance, it'll make it easier to then go in and ask them out. When you say from a distance, you mean like with binoculars? I mean from or, inside um, inside of a bush or up in a tree um, from approximately three clicks away with high-powered scopes. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Probably so a, far you need a telescope. <laughs> yeah, there's a very fine line between stalking and taking the initiative. Discuss. <laughs> <laughs> Some people like to go bird watching. I like to go honey watching. That's that's the only – that's the difference. <laughs> I mean, shut up, guys. I'm trying to see which decade she's praying today. Shut up. <laughs> Does she stop and pray a Hail Mary when she passes the Mary statue? I don't know. We'll find out. <laughs> I'm, see, I'm learning. I'm, I'm learning things about Franciscan here. That was a good. That was an insider. That was a three percenter Franciscan joke for all yeah, you out there. Yeah, and knows it. We we walked by the Mary statue outside my dorm, and I was like, "You got to pay the Mary tax." And so we we sat down, or we didn't sit down in the street. <laughs> we sat we, down we in the stopped. middle of the road. <laughs> we got our butts all dirty to pray to Mary because <laughs> pray, pray to Hail Mary because that's what you do here at Franciscan University. Yeah, it's good stuff. Anyway. <laughs> Mark's been here more times than Ethan has. I mean, that's you, you true. Come, you come every summer, right, Mark? I pretty much do. Yeah, I either I either swing by the uh, the High Biblical Studies Conference or the Fetty the Faith Conference. This is where I I, I I start hanging out with teens at the youth conference for a weekend, and I get out my blazer with the patches on the elbows. And oh I yeah, go, yeah man, all, the, that's... all the really smart bearded people, uh, men and women, and uh, and we discuss uh, <laughs> you know, all the deepest biblical tenets and. I, I, I flex my theological scriptural hat for a weekend. It's fun. That's awesome. Defending the Faith Conference, the greatest conference on earth with the bearded ladies. The, <laughs> the bearded ladies with the patches on their elbows. We love it's them. It's the best. It's, 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 it's when you show up and if Bob Rice plays Eagle's Wings, people are like, oh my goodness, it's so progressive. Oh, oh good golly. Go oh, good golly. Good this golly is a real barn burner. It's a barn burner, Bob. <laughs> what, what area of the country are these people from that are coming to this conference that have accents like that? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Everywhere. Mark, something that I've learned being here just for a few short hours is that anybody who's wearing a, a suit coat and pants is Dr. Scott Hahn immediately to me. I point them out and I say, that's, that's Scott Hahn. He's <laughs> <That's> <laughs> like, no, that's just a student who's dressed up today. What are you talking about? <laughs> no, I, I hear actually, I mean, I know it's, it's a popular fallacy that the Catholic Church is against cloning, but uh, I actually hear that Steubenville's leading the way, um, trying, trying to clone uh, Scott and other professors as quickly as they can. So mm-hmm. it's good. That's why that's why they say they have a student population. That's why you think there's so few students here is because half of them are clones. And so they, ha- they say, oh, we've got, <laughs> we've got 3,000 students, but only 1,500 original students. I think that's where <laughs> there's that's not happened. that many homeschoolers. They have to be clones. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you guys are you guys having fun? You guys have too much fun on this podcast. I love it. Yeah, it's good. It's good yeah. stuff. 
Um, we we sat down in the student center trying to like plan what we were gonna like. We're like, I was like, let's sit down and plan let's, the let's show. Let's write some questions and, for and Mark. We and got was, we yeah. were like, what what do we know? What do we know about Mark Hart? And I was like, all right, tall, tall, uh, Bible knowledge, Bible, street knowledge? Question mark and Catholic, and that's as far as we that's got. as far and as so we got then. before we started meeting people and talking to people about. I I started talking about I I don't really remember. It was just a whole. It was chaos about kissing various professors on the cheek when i saw them <laughs> i think that's what i what we landed on so kind of we really don't have anything prepared we just wanted to hang out talk to you maybe figure out what you do who you are for ma- anybody that doesn't know uh, i guess <laughs> it's kind of kind of where you want to take it mark i really just want to have a little nice little chat with my my friend mark hart yes well let's do that that sounds good i agree to those terms good thank you for Sweet. thank you for scrolling to the bottom and clicking accept without really reading or listening well, then we all we all have iTunes. We've all done it. So <laughs> We've all done fun. it. <laughs> so, Mark, who are you? Tell me. <laughs> Existentially? Existentially. Well, I mean, everybody – here's the thing is that everybody knows oh, Mark Hart, Life Teen, talks at stuff. But, like, who – if you – if I asked you, like, who you were and it wasn't any of that, like, who are you? What do you do? Um, what What is God calling you to do on this earth? That whole, That sort of thing. <laughs> Yeah, you know what? You know, man, and this this sounds like one of those token cone dan- token canned answers. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. Yeah, I am. I'm just a. Uh, I'm 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 a sinner. I'm really good at being a sinner. Uh, way, way way better than being a saint. Uh, I'm a husband. I have an, I have an awesome wife. Um, she's incredible. I've got uh, I've got four incredible kids. I have a high schooler, a middle schooler, a grade schooler, and a preschooler right now. So wow. I I haven't seen twenty bucks since uh, George Bush Senior was in office. I'm broke. <laughs> um, and um, but, but I'm busy. You know, they're cool. Yeah, no, no, my kids, my kids are cool. And really, I uh, I have the greatest job in the world. You know, I get um, I'm vice president for Life Teen, so I get to do a lot with uh, with this movement um, around America and around the globe. Um, and we have a lot of a lot a lot a lot of stuff going on from from our mission base to our summer camps to our training conferences all over the world to all our resources, our websites, and social media. So I get to oversee all that stuff. And then um, three or four days a week, I get to be on Sirius XM on the Catholic Channel, which is a really fun little break from meetings and, and creative meetings and production meetings all day long. And um, when I'm not doing that, sometimes I give a talk uh, or I do some writing, you know, so it's uh, it's kind of cool. I had no intention of being in ministry uh, when I started. Um, I told God I'd get one year of ministry after college, <laughs> and that was 23 years ago. And uh, <laughs> since then, I've got, I mean, I, I, I thought I was going to have to give up everything I was, I was excited about, everything I was studying. I studied production, film, video, writing, uh, studying all that stuff. And I thought I was going to have to give it all up when I went into ministry. And uh, instead, God kind of figured out some ways to allow me to do all those things, but still, uh, still actually build the kingdom. So it's been a lot of fun and a heck of a ride. What was that first year of ministry? Like, what was the, what, what did you do? What, what I was... self-medicated. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> No, the first year I actually, uh, so I had, I had about five months left uh, to get my undergrad from Notre Dame and uh, I had a job. I was really excited. I was actually going to make some money, which was an insane prospect coming out of college. Um, so I was really excited about it. I already said yes to the job. And then my old priest, who was really instrumental in my conversion, he called me uh, on campus and, and said, hey, you know, I know you're graduating in a couple months and I have a job. There's someone I want you to pray about, which is really crappy of him to do. It's so underhanded <laughs> when a priest does that. Yeah. Hey, there's someone I want you to pray about. It's like, uh, you can just feel the, the boulder of Catholic guilt. So it coming down the you know? <laughs> it was horrible. It was horrible. So I'm like, but I, but, but he was, he was really, he's a stellar priest and he was really, uh, he was huge in my, in my initial of 500 conversions. And uh, so I said, yeah, you know, so I'll pray about it. And I became his youth minister. And I was, uh, I, I went back to my old home parish and I actually um, was running a life team program there. And I was doing that for about two, two and a half years. And I got a phone call from life team international saying, wow. Hey, uh, we, we built this, this production facility, um, you know, we know it's your background, you know, we know you're happy, but would you want to, would you want to interview for it? And uh, truthfully, they had, I found out later, they had no intention of, of hiring me. <laughs> <laughs> I was basically being brought in to pad the interviews. They had, they had the person pegged, they wanted to do it. Um, but the interview went really well. And uh, they kind of said, hey, we'll you know, cast a vision and what do you think? So I kind of told them what I thought about the current state of Catholic media and, and the way people went about things and where people were going wrong. And Lo and behold, I got a phone call saying, "Well, hey, you want to you want a job?" And so that was with Life Team um, on a on a national level, international level. So I've been here uh, 21 years now. Wow. Oh wow. As far as Catholic media goes, in the past 21 years, do you think we've made uh, a lot of progress, some progress, or no progress? And kind of like, what have you seen that's been like the good? I mean, I know Life Team does a lot of great stuff. With I mean, just 
content for a youth group, but as far as media in general, what have you seen? Cause I'm, I mean, I know we've got good stuff like formed and I mean, I, like, I, I don't really know. I kind of struggle to think of good Catholic media that, that has changed just kind of in the past, even 10 years. What, what do you think of that? Like, where are we with that? Uh, I think we've made slow progress. Yeah. Uh, we're nowhere near where we should be. We are, we are the, uh, the church that gives the world uh, the greatest art she's ever known. Um, coincidentally, we're also the church that gives the world some of the crappiest art. <laughs> I mean, God's not say, dead. Yeah. He's surely a lot. Wait, never mind. Sorry. It's just, there's just a lot of really, really bad crap out there. And, you know, when, when uh, Chesterton said, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly, this is not what he meant. <laughs> um, and what I, what I struggle with is that um, in, a lot of, in a lot of Catholic media circles, people, they're either really afraid of quality because it costs money, uh, or they're really afraid to do something different because they don't know how it's going to be received. And everyone is so overly pious mm. that people are afraid to do anything actually effective um, because they're going to be perceived as uh, being juvenile or being, um, um, you know, uh, not, not heretical, but, but be, being seen in a light that's, that's less than, um, you know, uber pious and uber sanctified and everything else. The problem is, this is the reason, this is the reason we're getting our butts kicked by so many other churches, mm. is that uh, other churches are, are less concerned about how they're going to appear and they're more concerned about people's souls. And uh, we have we have a lot of levels of we have a lot of levels of bureaucracy, you know, in our church. Um, we have a lot of a lot of hoops we need to jump through. Um, you know, you have to get you have to get five people's permission to do anything. <laughs> and th- that's that's one of the things I love. You know, like for instance, and I'm not going to say that the Catholic radio doesn't do good stuff, but is it when you listen to most Catholic radio, is it really reaching the is it really reaching the the one lamb who went running, or is it or is it really reaching like the 99? Like, yeah. I mean, usually the Catholic radio that I that I hear. And I would say this outside of the, the, for instance, the show that I'm on on Sirius, most of the Catholic radio I hear isn't, doesn't really seem to be caring about um, reaching out to the fallen away Catholic, the, 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 the on the fence Catholic, the Christmas Easter Catholic, the ones who are kind of moderately engaged. Most of them are more concerned about the 1% who's totally drinking the Kool-Aid right. and just wants to go apologetics, apologetics, apologetics. Well, that's great. But in, but in most circles, apologetics don't mean anything to anybody. You know, it's a very, very small percentage of people who are really into it. Now, that doesn't mean it's not necessary. It doesn't mean it's not important. It just means that that's not where most people are. You know, yeah. so what, what most Catholic radio takes as a, um, a presupposition is that, oh, that, that we're all sitting around reading the latest encyclicals the minute they come out, that everyone's constantly aware of where church teaching is, of who various, various cardinals are, of, of what the biggest issues are, quote unquote, in the church. But again, that's, that's very, very inside Catholic baseball. That's not where most people are. And that's not what most people are talking about. Yeah, when I was in high school, I was like, I was totally on the, the apologetics thing. I was like, yeah, this is like, this is awesome. And like being Same. able to answer questions in my youth group, I was like, yeah, like I'm super holy. And then like, I actually <laughs> went to lead my, my senior year and I was like, oh, wait a second. I don't have a prayer life. And that, I think that's one of like the dangers you get into mm-hmm. is like, because you feel like you're like playing inside baseball, like you said, you get this, you get this idea that you're kind of in and you can't leave and you're like, oh, like I'm set, like I'm good, but you actually don't have a good relationship with Jesus. But I also think that's no. every, that's every high schooler ever who thinks that because they start, to be fair, yeah. like they start learning about the church. They're like, yeah, I'm super Catholic. I wear the t-shirts. Granted, this was me too. And then you get to call, <laughs> you get to college, and you realize that knowledge about the church and about doctrines doesn't really help when you're mired in habitual sin. And so it's like, oh shoot! And how do I talk to people about this faith that I don't really love? I just know about. And so I think, Mark, to your point, yeah, we've seen a lot of uh, apologetics-based stuff, but I really think just in the past year or so, may, and maybe this is just my bias towards, okay. Catholics, we need to remember that Jesus loves us and there's a gospel message and it's all centered on Christ and not as centered on doctrine and dogma. Would you say that that's well, fair or not? I, I'd, say it's, I'd say it's true. It, it's, I think we need to be a church. It's, it, you know, leaning on the Didache is really, really easy. And the fact is, I just, some don't, most do. If you walk in, walk into any state university bar and say Didache, yeah. So we can sit around. Didigate is that a is that a Pokemon? What are you talking about? It honestly, yeah, it, does, it sounds like one, doesn't? <laughs> but I mean, but see, but we're but we're infamous for this. We use our interior Catholic speak, mm. and we we use a nomenclature that nobody else. And we act we, we act like perturbed, like, well, I can't believe the new evangelization isn't working. Well, no, because <laughs> it's not new evangelization. They just keep slapping the stupid phrase on stuff, but no one's willing to do anything <laughs> different. So, so stop pretending you're doing evangelization. If, if you say you're doing evangelization right there, boom, you're not. Okay. Are, you are, you are the new evangelization? 
Get and a that's mark. What, that's what makes me. That's what, no, what makes me absolutely mental is that people go, "Oh, they're doing evangelization." No, you're not. You put it on top of your bullet and you put banner in front of the formula you use forever. And if people are really serious about about getting it out there, then you know what? It, I would say there's right now. There's three kinds of Catholic media. There's the Catholic media that's that's tired. That's in the exact same way, but still has a lot of support because of the people that fund it. Mm. If Catholic media that's actually effective um, is a lot of people who are trying to make a name for themselves merely by taking shots of what other people are doing. And that is, I, I have nothing original to say, so I'm just going to be, I'm just going to be snarky and I'm going to be self-obsessed and self-absorbed. And I'm just going to do a commentary on other people's commentary, which isn't really that original. And, and, and instead of trying to build something original and new and creative and true and beautiful, it just becomes, I'm going to, I'm going to go for the low hanging fruit and take cheap shots and sweep the legs of people because in doing so I'm going to get a, I'm going to get an emotional response. Now I actually haven't actually built the kingdom in any way, shape or form. I'm just going to get an emotional response. And the snarkier I am, the more of an emotional response I get, the more of a following I get. And I'm going to think that that following equates to actually affecting true change, which mm-hmm. it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I hope nobody's starting a podcast like that. Huh, Patrick? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're, we're really, I really hope we're the second thing. That's all I was thinking. Of. Yeah. I was like, please let us be in the correct category. <laughs> I mean, I don't no, know. And it's sincerity. I'm not saying that to you guys. I'm saying, cause you, I, yeah. I, I like actually like what you guys are doing. But I think I think you can see what I'm talking about, uh, and that is, yeah. if, if, if someone doesn't have it anymore, because because social media, because because podcasting and broadcasting and other things, and, and, and putting stuff on YouTube it has become so streamlined and so easy, and everybody who has the equipment can do it. Having the equipment does not make somebody a broadcaster. The same way that having a blog does not make someone a writer. Mm. The same way that having iMovie does not make someone a producer. Because you have the tools doesn't mean you have the talent, and just because you have the tools doesn't mean you actually have something to say. And I think that's the problem is that if, if it becomes about becoming Catholic famous and it becomes about, oh, I want someone to, to follow me and to talk about what I'm talking about, that doesn't actually mean anything. I mean, it, it actually can be the detriment. You know, we live in a culture where people find their, their security, their validation, their affirmation, and the number of followers they have, the number of subscribers they have. And that's so the anti-gospel. That's like the antithesis of the gospel. But, but it's true. I mean, this is, this is where people put all their worth, all their time, just trying to grow their brand. And in doing so, mm-hmm. if, if, you're, if your main intention is growing your brand, you're not an evangelist. If your main intention is, is sharing the truth, whether people like you or not, trying to build a kingdom whether people like you or not, and being intelligent and working hard on how you do it, you know, that could be evangelization. But, but I, I know a lot of people, and I watch. And I, I watch people on Twitter begging people to follow them on, on Twitter, begging people to subscribe to their channel. The minute you have to start doing that, what that proves is that you're not really into building the kingdom. You're into building a brand. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about Catholic celebrity, I guess. Let's all right. Go down that road, Patrick. You you <laughs> yes. lead this charge because I don't even I don't know where you're going. Um, <laughs> this was not I, I discussed think in our pre-show conversation about how tall Mark. Our is. pre-show conversation had nothing to do with the podcast in general. So, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah the the I think that having the focus on calling things the new evangelization that aren't the new evangelization makes people think that the new evangelization can only happen if you're Catholic famous, right? Um. Because you know, you're like, oh, I can. The new, if is is our memes the new evangelization? Are is like uh, having a pop, popular Catholic YouTube channel the new evangelization? Because if that's what it is, then I can't do anything. Like everybody will um, look at and the new oh, evangel. Look at look at uh, Matt Frad with Pints with Aquinas. Great program. He's literally like saving souls with that podcast, and people think, oh, I have to do that in order to be a good Catholic yeah. in the modern day. And it's just we just have this such a culture of pride and need like you were talking about that we have to get around somehow we're all a piece we're all a cog in the machine of jesus and so is that a good metaphor i don't know but we're (laughs) some some cogs are just naturally bigger and this is this is what they talked about at sls this year is that you've got people like super evangelists like john paul ii who could convert a million people every year and then the what they're trying to get you to realize is that if you disciple disciple quote unquote if you uh, make disciples out of three people and then they make disciples out of three people in you know 25 years john paul ii can ev- evangelize or convert 25 million people but you can convert you know billions is essentially the whole point point. and so i think we're so focused on being super evangelizers that we don't look at the people that are right in front of us which mm-hmm. i think is a main issue that's that's absolutely the issue and people have we have we have to redefine the relationship here we have, we have to redefine what it means to be an evangelist and how you quantify that. I'll tell you, I, my, the most frequently asked question I get, and it doesn't matter from what age, it could be from 15 to 65, no matter where I go, 
if I'm coming off a stage doing a talk, if I'm, if I'm in a booth somewhere, if I'm just having a general conversation, the number one question I get asked from everybody, how do I become a Catholic speaker? No. How do I get to do what you do? Oh. It makes me absolutely mental. It makes me lose my crap. I can't stand it because I want to look at people and go, well, first of all, that's 1% of what I do. Okay, number one. Number two, you have no idea, no idea what you're asking. Because if you really understood what comes along with quote unquote being a speaker, you would never want any part of it. If you actually knew about the sleepless nights and the spiritual attack and the self doubt and all the other stuff that the devil uses against you constantly and about, about the, the amount of, the amount of work, the amount of effort it takes about all the other stuff that comes along with it. And the presuppositions about you, about the people that you're subject to spending, to spending a lot of time with and the people that are, that are constantly will rip you and shred you for for this thing, this one thing you didn't say, hey, you just got a stage giving a t- talk to 10,000 kids about pro-life, but you didn't mention this one thing. So you know what? This is what you should have mentioned from someone who's never actually given a talk for more than 30 seconds in their life. I mean, it's the, the amount of spiritual attack alone. It's like you paint a huge bullseye on yourself and then you say yes to it. But most people understood even one iota of it. They'd never want any part of it. But what's what's more what's um, what's more disturbing is that is that when people say this, they think there's something glamorous and they think that the bigger the crowd, the more glamorous it is. Giving a talk to 10,000 people or 20,000 people is easy. Giving a talk to 20 kids in a parish hall who are forced to be there for confirmation yeah. and wish they could set you ablaze with their mind, that's difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and the, but this idea, this, this kind of Catholic celebrity idea that people want, you know, like you mentioned Matt Fratt. Matt's a very close friend of mine, you know, and we love spending time together and we work together in a lot of different situations. I can't do what Matt does. And by his admission, he can't do what I do. And, and there's, a, there's a mutual respect, but there's also a freedom in that. You know, that, that when, we're, when we hang out or we're talking about stuff, I don't need to go do what he does and vice versa. You know, and, and it's, it's all this understanding. It's, it's me. It's, it's you guys knowing that I can sit back and go, hey, you know what? I don't have to go find a buddy and do like a, kind of like a funny, insightful or pithy podcast because you guys are doing it and you're doing it really well. And the, the reality is we're all building. It's, it's like the book of Nehemiah. We're all building the same wall. We're just building different sections of it. At, at different times and different ways. So we're all building the same wall. Mm-hmm. And if, if, what people have to get past is this belief that their validation, their worth somehow comes by, by attention. You know, like, like you can, you can do something that's not going to change the world that a lot of people like, or you can do something that's really going to change the world that only one or two people like. Now, which one would you rather put your time and energy? Into? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you can have, you can have thousands of fans. You can have millions of fans, but at the end of the day, it just becomes like, like spiritual cotton candy. It doesn't do anything different. It doesn't affect the change. It doesn't call anybody out of sin. It doesn't actually get anyone to strive for holiness. It becomes a diversion and th- that's fine. We, we all need diversions and things can be entertained just for entertainment's sake. But true humor, true comedy is the highest form of philosophy. And it doesn't mean just taking shots and taking digs at people. True, true comedy is a philosophy. It's a commentary on, on how people think. Mm. So, I mean, mm-hmm. in that way, humor is the highest form of philosophy. It's a lot harder to write funny than it is to write smart. It's a lot harder to be funny than it is to sound smart. Take that, mom. It, it takes a lot more work. Yeah. I used fun. to do stand-up comedy, actually. <laughs> fun fact. Uh, yeah, I, and it's really, really hard. And it it's is. really tough. It's, and unless unless you're like unless you're the guy that walks up and just does like, shock effect Ugh. um dirty jokes in which case it's easy for three weeks and then you stop because you're out of shocking material um um i have a yeah. question all right unless you oh yeah go ahead. yeah so mark so everything you talked about about kind of the the culture and the catholic speaker culture and everything a lot of people i will see on twitter or in real life or anywhere will lob accusations at life team for perpetuating that type of culture <laughs> yeah how would you respond? Well, I, I would. I guess I would respond. Number one, how how has like your better that culture? Because yeah, we we co-sponsor youth conferences with Steubenville, right? So so there's, so there's what twenty five or something Steubenville youth conferences. We host six of them, you know. But but every single site, there's a there's sort of a formula that you follow in terms of when mm-hmm. you put your worship leader out, when you put your MC. That's not something that we come up with or do. You know, what's really ironic is that if they say like we perpetuate that culture. You know what's funny? When we advertise our conferences, we never actually list which staff members going where. We do that intentionally mm. because we're actually trying. To, we're actually trying to denounce that idea. Like it shouldn't matter if if Joel Stepanek. It shouldn't matter who's going where because you're not coming for us. Because you're coming for Jesus. You're coming for training. So they won't ever know. So people will will have to just show up 
and just you know not not know who's actually going to be addressing or speaking to them. In fact, we really never ever announce like even if we're doing like a we'll do like our inspiration tour, we'll go to Six Flags, you know, we the worship leaders, we won't announce who the speaker is because it's not about that. You know, so if anything, we're actually on the opposite end of the spectrum. We try to kind of keep it hidden and quiet to make sure that we're not in any way um, supporting a personality-driven culture, you know, or event. That's so good to be that intentional. That's For the good. record, I don't believe that. It's just what I see, and I wanted to give you a chance to publicly defend <laughs> the organization. You know, you know, it's funny too. I mean, there, there's there's certain subtle things, and if you guys have ever been to a to like a life event, you'll you'll probably notice this. Mm. One one of the things that I train our staff is that when you're giving a talk is that when you roll out of your talk, you roll straight into prayer. Mm. And, and while people are praying, you, you exit as quickly as you can. Yes. You don't stop. You don't wait. You don't wait for the applause. You don't wait for the you, – that, that's not at all what it's about. And we, So we actually train. If you ever want to pay, like, pay attention to see any of, our, any of our staff, and we can't control the special guests too, but if you ever watch our staff, we actually train them on how to very nonchalantly and very reverently end in prayer and then exit before anybody can, can applaud or anything else. And then we, we always have it built in. There's a really tight transition right into the music or right back to right a host or somebody camp. else to come up and to be able to transition right out because we don't want that attention. We, we don't want that on any staff. And it really, it's a great exercise in humility, you know, like, mm-hmm. because, because what ends up happening is people will inadvertently, you'll watch people, they'll, they'll wait for the applause at the end, you know what I mean, which is really, really gross and self-serving. But, but you, what you also see is you'll see, you'll see speakers and they get in this thing where they'll give a talk and they walk off stage and start looking anybody in the eyes they can for validation. Was that good? Was that good? Was that right? And we have a, we have an interior thing where like no one's allowed to ask that and no one's allowed to seek it because if you actually prayed ahead of time and you actually got up there and gave it, gave it your all, that it shouldn't matter a, what somebody thinks afterwards because you're only answering to God and B, if you did it right, most likely some people weren't going to like your talk because <laughs> the Holy Spirit was doing his thing. <laughs> if you made a bunch of friends, a bunch of fans, everybody loved it, then you probably didn't swing as hard as you should have. If it's any consolation, that that style of, of finishing a talk has definitely um, it's de- it's definitely been picked up. I, I I I tried doing that when I gave talks at like my my youth group retreat. I would always like end in prayer. Um, of course, I don't really control when the when the guy with the guitar starts plucking, but um, yeah, I, I I try I try my best to follow that formula. So th- thank you because that that's um that was I was I saw that and that 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 humility is inspiring. Well, you know, you know what I think it's about at the end of the day is that people, <laughs> there's a lot of people that get into ministry for all the wrong reasons. Mm. And there's a lot of people that stay in ministry um, for all the wrong reasons. There's a lot of people that are in ministry right now that, that should have been given the release or some packing years ago. Um, and that's both in professional ministry of, on, on, a, like a, on a corporate level and also like on a parish level. I think what happens in a lot of parishes is that you'll get a pastor who's got a really good heart, really well-intentioned. And maybe they inherit staff or they have staff there. Um, who they, they, they like on a personal level, but truthfully, that person doesn't need to be on staff. They need to be in therapy. There's a lot of people that end up in ministry or in parish life, and they, they genuinely need therapy, but they do not need to be in charge of people. Mm. And because we're so nice and because we're a church, of, a church of charity and mercy, we allow people to stay much longer than they should, or we empower people that have no social skills to be in these settings. And rather than, rather than keep uh, half, of a, half of a parish staff who are really talented, we keep a bigger parish staff and pay everybody like crap. And then before you know it, um, you've frustrated your best workers. So people are always like, well, ugh, why did that person leave ministry? Is it because the frustration set it? Because because they were surrounded by people that, that had no business being in ministry. And I, I'm a, I'm, I always say, I say to pastors all the time, I'm like, dude, you got to fire half your staff. Pay the, pay the half you keep better and keep good people around and let the, let the rest go. But we're, we're so afraid of, of hurting people's feelings that we keep a lot of people around who have no business being in ministry. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of The Crunch. Sorry to interrupt what I'm sure is a stimulating intellectual conversation, but I wanted to pause the episode real quick to let you hear from some of our sponsors. We will be back right after this. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage 
all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. And is this something that, because I I ask myself this all the time, because I'm always thinking about ministry and where things are headed and at the parish level and at the organizational level uh, for things like Life Teen or other, other ministries. Um, is that something that really can only come from uh, the clergy and from bishops and priests? Or is that something that lay people can start to uh, talk about? I mean, I just, I mean, you're obviously telling pastors to do this, but that's because you've been doing this for 20 years. Like what for me and Patrick, we're coming out, I'm graduating in May. I'm going to be going into parish life um, for people like me or other young adults. What can we start doing to kind of affect that change a little bit? What does that that's look a, like? That's an awesome question. It's a great question. No, number one, um, I'd say this, like it or not, you guys are coming on a generation has a horrible reputation and that's not your fault. Okay. It's just not, but, but, but you do, I mean, like with, with most pastors, with most people over 40, uh, like the, the millennial mindset is something to talk about a lot. And that's because a lot of those who have gone before you have, uh, have been unwilling or undesiring to really work, you know, for it, to, like mm-hmm. to really earn it. And I think people get insulted because people ahead of you felt like they had to earn their stripes, but now like there's, there's not a whole lot of, um, they feel like there's not a whole lot of a strong work ethic or there's not a lot of allegiance coming out and that kind of a thing. So first and foremost, I think you have to show whatever job you go into that you, you, you have every intention of kicking butt in that, in that slot, wherever you end up, like that, that you, that you're coming to work, that you're, that you're part of the solution, not part of the problem. Mm. And I think you, you do that by taking a genuine interest in people's work. That's not just your own. So on a parish level, it's a classic example. You'll get someone to come in like a youth minister and they won't show any interest in what's going on with adult ed, with little kids, with like bereavement or older seniors, they won't show any interest in anybody else, but they expect everybody to be interested in them. Mm. So the ones who are really successful are the ones who actually pour into the life of the parish. And they say, hey, where they actually get to know the rest of the staff, they're seen beyond just their own events, and they show that they actually care about building up the parish, not just building up a youth group in that example. So yeah. one is to show a genuine interest in what other people do and not to be so self-absorbed in what just what we're working on. That'd be number one. I see number two is to is to ask up front from your from and this goes really for any job, but specifically in ministry, you need to look at the pastor or whoever or whoever your supervisor is and you need to say, what are my, for lack of a better term, my critical success indicators? How how, how what does a win look like for me? Like what, what are my three priorities? What are the three tangible things that you want to see come out of this position? And to do that is really, really important because it both offers you direction and it offers you a shield. And by that, I mean, um, when you don't know what to do, because there's just so much to do, right? You know that these are the three things that you're going to be measured by that you ask right at the top, of the, right at the top. They, they go on paper. Habakkuk says in chapter two, he says, if you have a vision, you need to write down that vision clearly on a tablet so that all can see it and all can run with it. It's, it's like having a mission statement. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, those two or three things become like your filter. And that, so if you get to that road that diverges into the wood and you're like, I don't know where to put my time today on X, on Y, or on Z, you look back to those three and you go, okay, I got to put it on X because that's most important. But that's how you can measure your successes. And this is where people get frustrated in ministry is you'll have like a really well-intentioned pastor, but he wasn't getting ordained to be a manager. He was getting ordained to preach, teach, and sanctify, mm. right? And they make every pastor sit in every stupid meeting, every stupid pothole, and every stupid parish <laughs> parish parking lot instead <laughs> of letting, letting him sit in the confessional and remit sins. So before you know it, you have a pastor who's overloaded or you'll have like an administrator who's overloaded. If you actually get those written down, it frees you, but it also shields you. So when someone comes and says, well, why didn't you have, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you have, you know, the teams do this? Or why didn't you do this or this? You can go, you know what? It just wasn't as high a priority because as you already showed me at the very beginning, these these three are your priority. So I was just following these three. Now, if if we need to change this, we can. We'll see now you got them on the hook. But to have that mission statement where now everything else goes through that colander of those three things. Now you're constant. You constantly have direction, but you but and accountability. But you also have freedom because someone else is saying this is how you will be measured, and that's usually lacking in ministry circles and parish circles because most people who have been put in leadership positions have no leadership training, so they don't know how to run a meeting. They don't know how to express these things. They don't know how to do regular evaluations and check-ins and things like that. And if this is if the tide's going to turn. I think it starts with these kinds of conversations because it starts to put people in the parish level on notice that, hey, we can bring a level of professionalism 
to this. And what I, what I ultimately would love to get to would be to get to a place where priests actually are free enough to preach, teach, and sanctify. And we could put really solid lay people in some of those parish leadership positions that could take the day-to-day stuff off Father's plate. So he could be healthy, he could be happy, he could be praying, he could be shepherding. And then other people who have a maybe a stronger business acumen or stronger business mind can take some of that stuff off their plate. Do you think that that's one of the biggest issues plaguing the church today is this ineffective parish uh, staff, I don't know, methodology or, or operation or synergy, lack of synergy? Um, or is there something, is it something deeper than that that is kind of causing this? I think on a, on a day-to-day level, yes, that's a major problem. Mm-hmm. Because if, if I asked you, think of, the, think of every parish staff member you've ever known, close your eyes and think of them. Now, how many of them can you, would you say, are really, really effective in leading a meeting? Yeah. I'm really struggling here, Mark. <laughs> I'm having, exactly. I'm our having issues. Our collective response is like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that says a lot, you know? So what ends up happening is that we, we basically sanctify mediocrity. And we say, well, we can't mm-hmm. expect anything better from the church. Crap, that's crap. Yes, you can. And you deserve to expect better. We're, we're a church that smashes the alabaster jar and pours out the oil. Like, we, we absolutely, the people of God deserve better. This is why when professionals are coming to the church for a, a meeting, a class, or something else in the course of the week, someone who actually does exist in a professional world and comes in and someone who does not know how to lead a meeting or, or give a talk or, or share a testimony or that kind of thing is the person up front. It becomes so mind numbing that those professionals don't want to come back yeah. into the church midweek because their greatest commodity is their time. And the minute that we show that we don't respect someone's time, we lost them. There's, there's no greater commodity in this world than time. Every breath we take is more valuable than the last because every breath we're, we're one step closer to dying. So at this point, it, it, the minute the minute that we waste people's time, what it says to them is your time is not valuable to me, and that and people take that as a, whether they're conscious of it or not, they 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 remember that. And if we were a church that that was better at not wasting people's time outside of liturgy and, and all the other stuff we want people to do or expect them to do, we would see a much higher return. Hmm. And I think maybe this maybe I'm overreaching, but this could be something that. Um, Protestant churches do much better than us because you get, you get that level of involvement from a lot of, at least in the area that I'm from, there's a lot, there's this, you know, these mega churches that are huge and they're getting people coming to weekly Bible studies in addition to the Sunday service. And they also have a community group that they hang out with, you know, once a week and they get to do all these things because, and maybe I'm just not realizing this is a more, the deeper level is that they're not wasting people's time. And that's great. Sorry. I'm just realizing this out loud. I'm vocally externally processing, but that's a, that's something that's very interesting that we need to think about as a church, I guess. Well, and if you think about it, and this is, this is what's, what's tricky for the Catholic church, because what we love about our mass is that it's not about the homily, mm-hmm. right? And it's not about the yeah. music. Like it's, it isn't, it's about encountering Christ and this time of sacrifice and word and sacrament and priesthood and people, all those things are true and all those things are true and right and good. And I'm, I'm not saying that, but but still, most Catholics that leave Mass on Sunday judge their Mass experience, even though it's not based on the homily, on the homily, or on the music, or on how long the Mass went. That's where, that's where most cradle Catholics, most pew-sitting pew Catholics, the ones who aren't totally engaged, that's how most of them actually judge their Mass going experience. So here's the problem. Um, like we said earlier, these, we have our priests, and they're, so, they're stretched so thin, they're doing so many things, they're on so many committees, they're in charge of so much stuff at the parish, that, you know what, that, that most of them don't have enough time to really really pour into their homilies, mm. for instance, you know, and I'm not saying that that's of the utmost importance because it's not because the homily is absolutely secondary. It's about the sacrifice of the mass. So, so before someone starts getting all angry and all pissed off and sending me some <laughs> stupid email or some letter, I'll say it again. It's about the sacrifice of the mass. That being said, what you just pointed out with our evangelical brothers and sisters, those pastors, they spend all week on the, on their, on their sermon mm. all week. I read somewhere you know that uh, it, reach, it reaches people. It reaches people in a different way when they're unpacking the word of God and people engage. I read somewhere that Rick Warren spends one hour preparing for every minute that he preaches. I, I've met Rick several times. Which is um, insane. I've had dinner with Rick. Um, really, really good dude. Very holy dude. Really respects our Catholic church, which I love about him. And I would say absolutely that's true. I mean, he, wow. he puts so much prep into his sermons and he, he's working on them weeks and weeks ahead of time. He's mm-hmm. not just working week to week. Like I know for a fact, when I was, when I was sitting with him year before last, um, he was, I asked him what he was working on. He was working on a series that was going to come up in six months later. So the ones for that weekend were already prepped. 
we're already prayed over. We're already filed. Like wow. he, he wasn't working wow. on the upcoming Sunday. <laughs> you managed to tell that to a priest be like, Hey, could you, could you have a homily prepped for uh, six months in advance? Thanks. Well, see, that's, that's the hard part because, because if I said to my priest friends, they'd be like, look, it's not about me. It's about the sacrifice. And I said, yes, I know that. And, and pastors and all those other staff, it's just me, you know? And, and again, I, I always come at it from, you know, if you, if you'll be great quality and everything else they do, you know, and, and people, people will fault us and they'll say, you know, Oh my gosh, you guys put so much, you guys put so much emphasis on this and so much emphasis on that. You know, like we, I, I got someone yelled at, and there were, and there were too, yeah, and there were too many of them. And someone got mad because, because our, uh, because our back lineup were too big. And, and, and they said, well, you know, I, I just don't see it. Like you're, you're wasting all this money. All this money should be going to, you know, whatever, like to, to your mission base. And I'm like, okay, look, we, we pour thousands upon thousands of thousands of dollars on our mission base. Okay. Don't worry about that. <laughs> but, you know, if, if I speak in angelic tongues and have not clarity, then what have we really accomplished? If the person in the back can't see or hear, then, then why are we even doing this? You know, it makes so, – so think about that. So we actually get in trouble for stuff being too high quality. Don't you love that? Like, that is so that's, bizarre. That's, it's so strange. When you, yeah. when, you approach, when you approach ministry with a hermeneutic of suspicion – Ooh, I go to Franciscan. Yeah, this is <laughs> – this is the one of my professors said approaching <laughs> approaching the faith with the hermeneutics of suspicion. The problem with that is that, like it's always going to be right. Like it's infallible because you're always going to find something. He was talking about uh, the garden. He was like, "Well, why did why did uh, God make Eve second? Is she less important?" He's like, "Imagine it was the other way. Like, oh, uh, why did did God make Adam second? Oh, he must be like more more important or like or like oh, Eve isn't complete until she has a man. Like, wow, that's terrible. It's regardless of which way God swung it, someone would find a problem with it, you know. So it's like you can't always listen to the haters. Oh no, but but this is but we live in a world that thrives on the false dichotomy. Okay, oh, yeah. so so I can get up and go, hey, you know what? Like, um, we we used to disturb, so we used to the survey with the vocations office for U.S. bishops, and we found out that even though life teen is in less than ten percent of the churches, thirty seven percent of the guys in seminary had a touch point with life team in high school. Wow. So over a third of the seminarians Damn. are saying life team played a role. We're in less than 10% of the parishes. And someone goes, oh, what about religious life? And you're like, that wasn't even part of the conversation. That's a false dichotomy. We, I just <laughs> said to you, we did this study with, with the vocations office, you know, but it's those kinds of things. And I'm just like, why am I having to defend myself right now? Like, you know, like how about we just do what we do. And we're seeing great fruit being born and lives are being changed and transformed and men and women are offering their lives in humble service to the church. We'll do our thing and you go do your thing. And if your thing is blessing people, then awesome, man. Praise God. And if your thing isn't and it sucks, then do something better. But don't <laughs> fault people for working hard. Like, come on. You do have to earn the right to have an opinion on certain things. You know, like you, you can't oh, no, really no, have. You see, no, you see a social media account. You don't actually have to have any credibility or anywhere. <laughs> you just need to have a microphone. Just all to, you, all you need is an, an egg. An egg is a profile picture and two thumbs and you are good to go. Or a crusader. That, oh, yeah. Or a crusader. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to deus volt into your mentions and tell you what for. <laughs> but, but honestly, like you guys, you guys could have people and they'll, they would come listen to the crunch and they'd say, you know what? This is just this is silliness for silliness sake, and or oh, you guys are talking about this over here, but when you're talking about theology of the body, that you didn't talk about eschatological man, and you missed a real opportunity, and you're like, that's not what we were going for. That's not who we're reaching out to, and the the, the actual thing was about confession, not the tob. So just back off, okay? <laughs> but again, someone's gonna find someone's gonna find somebody to your hermeneutic of suspicion. Someone's gonna find something wrong because. There's just a lot of really, really unhappy people out there. And rather than taking a hard look at themselves and where they can improve, it's easier to take cheap shots at someone they don't know. Mark, I have a very important question for you. Oh, boy. What does hermeneutic <laughs> mean? <laughs> right. Okay. Who is asking? I you? actually don't know. <laughs> I just know that phrase. Patrick. <laughs> what? <laughs> you can't just, no, like, no, that's no, not... it's okay. If he wants to be overtly loquacious or verbose, we can absolutely handle that. This is a hegemonic culture. Okay. Hermeneutic. Hey, wow. <laughs> Mark, Mark, what does lo- loquacious mean? I'm kidding. Carry on. <laughs> Hermeneutic comes from a Greek word. It means, uh, it, it's concerning interpretation. It has to do with how you interpret how you interpret something. Most specifically, it's usually used with scripture and biblical uh-huh. texts and things like that. So what, what light do you interpret these texts in light of? Like, uh-huh. How do you interpret these texts in light of history, in light of allegorical sense in light of legend or tradition, that kind of thing. So Obviously, would, Patrick. Interpretation. <laughs> Duh. It's I a learned method of interpretation. There you go. The podcast, the podcast <laughs> would not be the crunch if I didn't learn something and Ethan didn't learn something every That's episode. True. We get, we get smarter every episode. That's honestly, I'm going to put, 
I'm gonna put you guys on the spot. I want to turn the interview around for a second. So let's go. Each of Ooh. you separately, since you're not together, this is good. In 20 seconds or less, you guys have done 80. You said 82 of these now, right? This is yep. the 82nd podcast. So you said the top. Yep. Okay. So you did 82. What have you learned about podcasting yourselves or the church? One of those three over the course of the last 81 podcasts. You each have 30 seconds. Go, Patrick. You go first. Okay. So something that I've learned about myself is that I. Um, I need more humbling and I have met very many people throughout podcasting that have helped me learn how to humble myself. So even, even though, even though like when I was in high school, if you told me that I was going to have a podcast that like anybody cared about listening to, I'd been like, man, I'm super cool. But now when the, the more that I talk to people that do any kind of public anything in the church, um, the more that I talk to those people, they, they, they kind of give me like a, a clear picture of what it means and, and how it's actually like a cross and like a humbling thing. So that's something I've learned about myself is I need more humility. Um, I would say that I've learned how to make the transition from head to heart a lot better. Um, Ooh. Yeah. Because I, I know a lot of things and I will know them in my mind and maybe not necessarily talk about them, but when I talk about them on the podcast, then that makes it real and it makes it tangible and it makes it something that has to become, uh, relevant in my life or else I'm being a hypocrite. And so I find myself a lot of times talking about things that I know or understand. And then once they get out on the podcast, it becomes a part of my prayer or maybe in preparation for the podcast, it becomes a part of my prayer. And then all of a sudden it, it starts to change kind of how I operate in the world. So I would say making the, making things that I know a reality and how I act and interact with people. I also learned Oh, here we as go. kind of uh, about podcasting in general is that podcasting is like a boomerang. I say something and then a week and a half later, my mom hits me with it. Um, <laughs> and she's like, good. why did you say this? And I'm like, I'm sorry. Yeah, we both have that experience. It's a lot of fun when your parents listen. Hi, mom. Hi, other mom. Hi, mom. I mean, my mom. Hi, mom. <laughs> you should be very proud of these boys. They're almost able to grow beards now. It's very exciting. I can, uh, Patrick. Yeah, Patrick has a full beard. You just can't see it. I'm the one that is having uh, a little bit of trouble in that department. But that's okay. We don't have to talk about. Oh, it. You know, I'll say you know, I'll say to both you guys, and I mean this in all sincerity because I'm like the older brother on the block by far. Um, <laughs> you know, the the, fa- the fact that you're growing in self awareness and humility in doing this is a really really good sign. And the minute that you stop growing in self awareness and humility doing this podcast, you need to stop it and hang it up because because on- honestly, it's it won't be worth it anymore. Like. It's being like, because right now you're, I mean, you're broadcasting, you're broadcasters now because you're doing this. And the reality is, is that there's a whole lot of people that are so much more concerned about, um, about getting something out of someone else mm. than they are about what, these, what the other person is saying and the effect it's having on them. And that, that might not make sense. But the reality is, is that like, is that anybody you're going to have on or anything you're going to be talking about, there's always going to be an opportunity and room for you guys to grow in self-awareness mm-hmm. and to grow in humility. And that's ultimately what God wants to do. In this. And those are the stand like how to ask a question. What we live in a culture that's becoming so socially awkward and so social media that most people have lost the art of conversation. They don't know how to ask a question anymore. And when they, when they usually only talk to superior because they're usually the ones that know how to ask a question or keep a conversation going. And it's a lost art form. And it's a lost craft. You know, so to be able to do that in a podcast format where you're not right next to your guest and being a follow up question, that's where the best interviewers, the best podcasters, the best broadcasters are from. You know, they make it sound very seamless and very easy, but it takes a lot of work because you actually have to listen to what the person's saying. You know, and what, one, one thing I will say, and the highest compliment I can pay any quote unquote Catholic speaker, because I hate the word Catholic celebrity, <laughs> but any Catholic speaker is that they're the same person on stage that they are in the green room, that they're the exact, op- they're the exact, the exact same. Like there, there's no opposition. There's no, there's no um, secondary, you know, identity. And I, sadly, I can't say that about everybody. There's a lot of people that I've worked with in that, a lot of very well-known Catholics who are very different in the green room. And then the minute they get on stage, they go into a persona. And it just makes me sick to my stomach and it makes me want to just, just punch them. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, they haven't really achieved anything. You know, My advice I mean, is been, don't do that unless it's on stage. Like you, that, would be, that would be the Steubenville <laughs> Conference of the year. <laughs> oh, I would love to. Oh, would I love to? My wife always has to tell me to put my Irish away before I get on the plane. World <laughs> star. But it really World is sad star, though. Like you'll, I mean, I've, I've, actually been, I've actually been backstage with people, like with, with different like Catholic who, you know, it'll be ministers who go on stage and we'll, we'll like say, I'll say, hey, you, you want to pray? You want to offer a prayer kind of thing? Who's signing your, like, who's signing your check, dude? Like, <laughs> who are you working for, Satan? Like, get, get over here. Whoa. What are you talking about? Yes. 
I mean, oh yeah. I, I, oh man, I wish I could tell you those stories. Oh my gosh. Just flip it's, a table. And like, millstones. Remember the millstones. There's a catechetics professor here at Franciscan um, who will 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 just say in the middle of class, like, "Remember the millstones." And to the to the people that are, you know, she's teaching people how to teach the faith, and she's like, "Remember, if you don't do this right, it'd be better if a millstone was tied around your neck and you were thrown into the sea." So remember the millstones and learn how to teach. It's very it's very uh, thanks, terrifying. Thanks she's a she's pleasure. a nun. The best yeah. part. <laughs> <laughs> ironically it took stone for her to say that but that's a whole different thing so <laughs> do you guys have trouble uh remembering death i don't because i go to catechetics every monday wednesday friday <laughs> <laughs> makes it really makes it really easy for me you have a skull on your desk no i just go to i just go to class i just go to catechetics class. yeah it's pretty simple i show up i'm very smart i'm matriculating <laughs> <laughs> um well we're we're getting close to uh about an hour patrick do you want to put our guest into the crunch bowl Oh, this is the best part of the podcast. It is. Mark, are you ready? I'm ready. It's really easy, I promise. Patrick, lead him off. Okay, so this is... Oh, we're going to start with the horse question? No, no, no. Start with the cereal. Easy. It's the cereal theme. Oh, yeah, that's right. I totally forgot. Mark Mark Hart, the Mark Hart, at LT underscore the Bible Geek. What is your favorite cereal? Um, I don't eat cereal anymore. Uh, all right. What was your favorite cereal? Adios, everybody. We're oh, signing off. Honestly, oh no, you can't do that. My favorite cereal growing up was Captain Crunch. And oh, I'll tell you what, <gasps> it's not just because of the amount of sugar that came in the bowl. That was definitely part of it. It's that if you ever take a really close look at that dude, he's a he's demonic. His eyebrows are on his face. <laughs> his it's really jacked up. He looks like he looks like the Gadarene demoniac. He looks like the spawn of Satan. But he's also a decorated naval officer, and uh, so I think yeah, Captain Crunch for sure. So we gotta respect him, but yeah, we gotta respect the satanic <laughs> naval officer. Yes, sir. Swab <laughs> That's the, the episode name. Swab the poop deck. Yeah, respect. Yeah, we got it. <laughs> That's funny. Um, Patrick, should I hit him with my my line, my famous question? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mark, this is this is critical. Um, would you rather have ears on your butt cheeks or a butthole on your forehead? Um, well, I think most people already have a butthole on their forehead to talk out of it. Whoa! <laughs> this retitle for the podcast is just Mark Hart dunking on people for 45 to 50 <laughs> minutes. That's what this is. Dang. <laughs> that was really good. That was so good, Mark. All right, you win. You don't have to answer it, actually, because you, you don't have to answer the question. You, you, you beat the question. You won. I never get to ask that again because it's been beaten. All right. Um, my, my favorite question that Ethan hates, um, would you rather not be able, or wait, sorry, what, what is it? You can't uh, even tell would, it. Right? Oh, would you rather change gender every time you sneeze or not be able to tell the difference between a muffin and a baby? You know what? I'd rather not be able to tell the difference between a muffin and a baby. Yeah. Okay. yeah. You it's avoid, fine. you avoid a lot of theology of the body issues that way. <laughs> I, t- I tell you what, I have I have the highest, highest, highest respect and admiration for the, the much fairer sex in our female gender. I could not have a higher estimation of it. And if man is the crown of creation, woman is the crown jewel of creation. That being said, after watching my wife go through childbirth as many times as I have, I fall on my knees every morning and I kiss the ground and thank God I'm a man. <laughs> All right, he just beat that question too, Patrick. We got to get a new list of questions. All right, all right, Ethan, Ethan, ask your question, and then I'm going to ask my... I don't my... have any more. This, those are all the questions, questions I have. Ask the horse-sized duck question. No, I don't like that one. Uh, but I don't have fun. any... No, I don't have any more questions. Ask one more, and then we'll, then we'll close it off. <laughs> okay, all right. All right, Mark, this is very critical, and you might have to search your memory bank for this one. In, in 2011, you posted a video where you house-sat for Matt Marr, and you found a can of gray spray paint in his medicine cabinet. Was that staged, yes or no? Oh, it was painfully staged. That entire video was staged. Dang it! In fact, I, I, in fact that video that video came to life. Uh, Matt, Matt was Matt was on tour. That video came to life over uh, over a couple beers with me and one of my staff members. We said, "Wouldn't it be funny if we did this?" And uh, we we did we did we took we took keys. Uh, I had a spare key to his house. It wasn't even his house actually. But we, what? <laughs> that was even his house. It was my buddy's house. But we went in <laughs> after lunch. We we put all the stuff throughout the house. We locked it up. We shot that in one take, cut it in one afternoon. And then the best part was I didn't even show it to Matt. He was playing at one of our events. And right before we introduced him to go out on stage, I said, check this out. I was sitting next to him in the back of the room. He was already go up there. I said, you have five minutes. He goes, what do you mean? I said, well, we made a little video intro. Check this out. And we played it. 
And I mean, he couldn't go up on stage. It was over because his band was laughing so hard at all the inside <laughs> jokes about Matt. Like they weren't able to go on stage yet. So we actually had to get up and do filler for a couple more minutes while his drummer and his bass player composed themselves. It was wow. good. Matt was, he was mortified. He had not seen it. He thought it was hilarious. They should be good at composing themselves. Oh, oh I see what you did there. Yeah, Hold on. You. Wow. <laughs> that was a, that was a Dr. Ha- Scott Hahn level pun. Yeah, he is the... <laughs> I tell you that moment when, that moment when Isaac carries the cross up Mount Moriah. <laughs> that's the Moriah carry. <laughs> oh my! Gosh. Oh, that's actually funny. That's good. I like that. He, no, he did. He said that one time, and I oh looked at him. He's gosh. just like, oh, "Don't you get it, Mariah?" I'm like, "Yeah, I got it, Scott." Yeah, I got it. <laughs> I love my favorite thing about when, when, they, when, when they took the rib. When they took the rib from Adam, <laughs> we made Eve. We could, we should call it splitting the Adam. <laughs> okay, all right. You're done here. Move the tea away from yourself. Yikes. He he manages to find Catholic memes from about 2001 and post them on Facebook <laughs> like they were just made yesterday. And he gets so it's many right. so many likes. But when I was making those memes in high school, I didn't get any likes. Mark, I'm not mad. I'm just frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> that seems healthy. Seems like you've really come to terms. No, it's it's you. fine. I don't think about it ever. Like it's not something that comes up in prayer <laughs> or in confession. Like it's fine. I'm okay. Uh, it's whatever. <laughs> just saying. I just wanted everybody to know. It's fine. <laughs> it seems healthy. I mean, it's not like I get on my knees every morning and pray for a blue check mark or anything. <laughs> someday it's going to happen. I tried. I tried getting one just to just to see if I could, and uh, it did not. I work. think you have to write a book or something to get verified. It's kind of a. You're halfway there. <laughs> You're halfway there, Patrick. Yeah, I'll I'll try my best. Yeah. I'll, I'll 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 write one. I'll, I have I have an idea. It's gonna be you. A book you write a book. All... You write a book. I'll start a vlog, and then we'll both get Ooh, check marks yeah. together, and it'll all be focused on getting <laughs> more followers, and not at all about spreading the message. We'll be the blue check boys. The blue check boys. The, rename the podcast Blue Check Boys. Two K eighteen. I love it. Mark, well, is there any is there anything else you want to say to the people? This yeah. is a very this is a very good opportunity for you. You to can talk to the plug, listeners of the crowd. Plug anything. <laughs> I <hit a> plug. <laughs> oh, there's always there's always something like no i'm good you know what i'm gonna say um it's, it's especially any any young adult catholics who are listening to this you know and i know you have a lot a lot a lot a lot you have a, you have a big following this podcast it's just say you know what like you need to look at it's, instead of looking like what's gonna what's gonna make you known or get you known you need to look at what you're passionate about Ooh. I, 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 I do a lot of interviews. We have, we have summer interns and apprentices. We have summer missionaries. We, I'm constantly interviewing for jobs uh, with, with college grads and recent college grads. And you know what? What really sets people apart are the ones who, in high school, in college and beyond, are the ones that, that figured out what they were passionate about, and they went and did it. And Because really, at the end of the day, a lot of resumes are the same, and most resumes suck. And, uh, and most people, if they can't carry on a conversation in an interview, aren't going to go very far. But if you, if you invest in something that, that God created you to do, and I think that's, that's one of the things that's missing the most that I see is that there's a lot of people, especially in college, who are phoning it in, who are just kind of going through the motions or taking their victory lap or are just kind of saying, hey, you know what, like, I'm going to go, gonna go do this job because that's what mom and dad want me to do or because that's where I'll always make a living. And they're really miserable. And come in their 30s and their 40s, they're totally miserable, even if they're married because they don't ever actually pursue their passions because they lack the courage to do so or the conviction to do so. And you're not going to be able to start, you, know, you can't start following your passions when you've got a spouse and three kids and a mortgage. That's not when you start following your passions, okay? Because then you have responsibilities. When you're free and you're young and you're unencumbered, this is the time to pray and dream and ask the creator, that your author, ask him what he created you to do. And whether or not it makes good financial sense or not, go freaking do it. Have the stones to go do it. Go do something you're passionate about. Because if you do that, you're actually going to contribute to the common good and the truth and the beauty of society and not just take up space. That's really good advice. That's true story. Yeah, the, I, I told you earlier, I, I, get so, I, get, I get so many freaking resumes. I do so many interviews. And most <laughs> people are completely unhirable. But, but when I found that, that we've had people who have gone through like our summer missions for Life Team, have gone mm-hmm. through Focus, things like that, one thing I was setting apart is they're, they're, they're usually able to have conversations and, and they're most likely uh, much better at conflict resolution than a lot of their peers are. And those are two things that are invaluable in the workforce. Yeah. Ugh. People make fun of my theology degree all the time. They always tell me I'm never going to make any money, but that's fine. It's, 
that comes with the territory. You're right. You guys right. aren't monetizing this podcast yet? Jeez. Uh, we have a Patreon. If you're interested in donating, it's patreon.com slash the crunch. Slash the crunch. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. We, yeah. Uh, we gave you space to plug and then we plugged our own stuff. <laughs> that's how, that's yeah, how these things should. work. This is our podcast, Mark. Back off for a second. Let us do some work. <laughs> Stop, stop giving you. people legitimate life advice and yeah. let us plug our Patreon page. Cut it <laughs> out. Wow. Trying to pay for my new tattoo, but it's in Latin, so it's a write-off. <laughs> nice. Uh, it's funny. That is what I'm trying to do. Hey, man, guys, keep doing what you're doing. Seriously, okay? Will do. Thank you, Thank you so much. Um, appreciate you coming on, Mark. Uh, Patrick, I'm just going gonna, gonna to end it right here. Sounds good. Okay. Uh, thank you all for listening. Please pray for us. We will be praying for you, and we will see you on the Twitters. Bye.